welcome to another episode of Two Guys in a Chainsaw. I'm Craig. And I'm Todd. Well, Todd and I have kind of been taking turns going back and forth who gets to pick the movie each week, and uh, Todd is a little bit more meticulous about it. He puts up polls on our Patreon and scans <laughs> through our uh, reviews, and I'm more of a just kind of whatever pops into my head kind of guy. <laughs> and this week, the movie that popped into my head was 1988's Monkey Shines, directed by yeah. George Romero. We've been talking about doing this for a while. Yeah, that's the thing. I don't know what made me think about doing it now, but we have talked about it a couple times. It's come up in conversation, and honestly, it just popped into my mind, and I looked around to see if it was easily available, and it is. Um, as of the recording of this episode, it is available to watch for free with ads on Tubi. And so I thought we'd give it a shot. And, and I think mainly the reason that I wanted to do it is because I have fond memories of it, but I couldn't really even pinpoint why. I, I couldn't remember why I liked it. I just remembered liking it. And it had been a really long time since I'd seen it, so I wanted to revisit it. Frankly, I didn't even realize that this was a Romero film. Yeah, I forgot too, 100%. Yeah, and it's, you know, I think of Romero and I think of The Living Dead. But the truth is, he's done other stuff. In fact, this movie, it didn't remind me of, but it gave me shades. Didn't we do a movie of his about a vampire? Uh, was it Martin or something like Martin, that? Was that yeah. Romero? It was good, too, and it was Romero, you're right. It was good, and I think that it, too, was sit in, set in uh, Pittsburgh. Isn't that where this mm -hmm. movie is set? Yeah, because I think he actually lives near there, so he tries to set his movies in Pittsburgh. <laughs> yeah. And uh, like I said, the two movies are really not alike. Um, this was Romero's second like big studio film, second mm -hmm. after Creepshow 2. And I think that it would be his last one for a while because he was a little bit disenchanted with the process. Not necessarily so much the making of the film, which it seems like he had a lot of freedom on, but uh, the editing uh, of the film, the studio kind of came in and did some cuts that he wasn't thrilled with. Uh, and so I think that after this, he kind of went back to doing independent stuff. But this is an interesting movie uh, because it does feel like it's got a budget. It didn't have a huge budget, budget I think like $7 million or something, which is more money than I'll ever see. But as far as you know, <laughs> film budgets are concerned, not enormous, but it looks good. It looks sharp and clean and yeah, pretty mainstream. And I don't know. I just uh, going back and watching it again. I still really liked it, and yeah, I, I don't think that I'm in a minority necessarily, but for whatever reason, it didn't do well at the box office, but I think that subsequently, it kind of made a name for itself in the home video release, um, and there were some critics, not your favorite critic, but some critics who thought that it was actually kind of smart and interesting and tackled some interesting issues. Uh, and and I agree. Plus, there's a really cute monkey in it. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about this movie, I think, a little bit before because we did another movie that came out the same year that also involves 
a monkey. Oh, please, please tell me. <laughs> Primal Rage. <Do> you remember? <laughs> yes. Primal Rage. Which I, really I was inf- so reminded of in, in this movie. Right? Because eventually, main character gets the primal rage. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot, actually, between the two films that's surprisingly similar. But I guess it's because if, you're, if you've devoted your time to making a movie about um, an experimental monkey that kind of influences or kind of makes things go awry you know you're gonna you're gonna have a lot of similarities there's not a lot of different ways you can go and i think even when we did primal rage we talked about how there was around this time in the late 80s this 1988 primal rage came out at the same year so i mean certainly they were made around the same time i I can't imagine it's got to be a bit of a fluke like i can't imagine there were spies from one set going over and trying to figure out what the others were doing right but i think what was it project x which is about experimental monkeys and gorillas who were um, enlisted by the military to fly planes into like suicide kamikaze type missions, and yeah. that starred Matthew Bro- Matthew Broderick, and it that seemed was a like sad movie. Gorillas in the midst, I th- in the mist, I think was around this time. I mean, there was just a whole probably a bit of a like resurgence of fascination with monkeys and experimental. It's easy to comment on nature and man. You know, yeah. we kind of go to our evolutionary cousins, you know, and uh, talk about them. And, you know, who's the real who's the real primate, you know, that kind of thing. Right. And and so uh, it's ripe for that. And this movie delves into a little bit of that territory as well, like Primal Rage. Like Primal Rage, I felt quite a bit of sympathy for the monkey in this movie. Oh, my I gosh. Really, absolutely. I kind of fell in love with this little monkey, too. And it adds a nice element to it. I mean, the monkey goes bad. Right. But, but like, I, I read some critics uh, said this, too. Like, you fall in love with the monkey, and even though the monkey ends up doing very bad things, ultimately, the monkey is a victim, too. Yes. And I, I think that the uh, – I, I think that there's commentary here, as there is in Primal Rage and these other things, about when man tries to play God and, and – mm. uh, you know, the consequences of that and, and that uh, it really can be detrimental to all involved in this case, including this cute little capuchin monkey. Yeah. And you know what? I've got to say right off the bat, this movie was smarter than I remembered it being. Yeah. I think I watched it years after it came out, like on video or something in high school, maybe. And I remembered being maybe even a little bored by the end of it. This time around, I was not bored. And I just saw layers and layers of subtext and really interesting things that Romero was doing with the story, with the characters, with the acting. And God, really great footage of that monkey. I mean, that monkey steals the show as an actor. And just, you know, Romero does that. It's so crazy. From day one with Night of the Living Dead, most everything I've seen of his, he works hard. He's He's got an agenda almost every single time. He wants his art to say something. I think he makes these movies that you could call exploitation films that are gory and that, you know, appeal to the horror crowd, like guts and blood and kind of crazy action and things like that. But beneath it all, and what sets it apart from a lot of his copycats at the time and since, is that he's actually saying stuff here. He has clear messages that are coming through and 
I think, quite skillful filmmaking. And, you know, we talked about this with Martin, about how Martin is this, like, kind of this relatively deep character study of this Mm -hmm. sort of vampire-type guy. And we were both really moved by it, you know? And we're like, how does... How has this movie kind of been so forgotten? Is this because it's like this 70s almost art house flick that yeah. you have to have the patience for sitting down and watching a character study type movie? I feel like this movie kind of rode the line. It does move a little slow, even though it's always moving forward. It never stops, I think, and just dwells in boring shit. But there are layers here that are fun to see and fun to unpack. And you're like, the movie also had these weird things that just had me guessing the entire time and trying to make sense of of it because it seems very straightforward and then it takes a few weird turns and then it almost seems to veer a little bit into the supernatural and then it almost seems to kind of pop into a little bit of magical realism at some point what i'm talking about specifically is there are moments in this movie where the monkey and the guy that he bonds with the guy opens his mouth and is talking or is saying things and he's got he has monkey teeth <laughs> like yeah. and i'm like where's that coming from is is he literally growing sort of canines up from both his jaw and the top of his head or but then it goes away and i'm like yeah. okay you know like oh okay i mean it's not literally happening this is like an impressionistic thing that i don't know you know like how odd in this relatively mainstream, straightforward movie about man and his monkey, that you get these little things that make you kind of step up and go, wait a second, what's going on? Well, and, and that particular detail is never addressed. Like, never. We see, it and it, we see it and it happens multiple times, but... It's unavoidable. Nobody talks about it. <laughs> like, mm. uh, it, It's never mentioned. It just... We see it, it happens, but it's never mentioned. Yeah, it's almost like sort of a like David Lynchian type thing, you know, where he just throws in this thing that I don't think is meant to be taken literally. I don't think, I'm not sure we're literally supposed well, to believe Well, except for one time thing. he bites his lip and it bleeds. And it bleeds. I, I mean, I guess anybody could bite their own lip and make it bleed, but like they yeah. make a point of showing that it's one of those canines or incisors or whatever it is. True. Um but but it's also subtle enough that it had me questioning, like, are his teeth always like that? <laughs> like, right. like am I, am I only noticing now because he's kind of snarling subtly? Like, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. It, it was subtle but noticeable and, and yeah, definitely interesting. You know, and, and you, you talked about, you know, how the monkey really is uh, a major star of the movie. Definitely is. It's supposed to be a female monkey, but it was played primarily by a male monkey, which I guess is rare. As they talk about in the movie, male monkeys are typically more aggressive and territorial, and so... Pee every, all over everything. <laughs> right, to mark their territory. And so usually in filmmaking, and as is the case in this movie where they are training um, these monkeys to be service animals, which I guess is really a thing. Uh, I yeah. didn't know that. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, primates are are intelligent. It, it, it makes sense. I, I think that uh, I don't know about capuchin monkeys. I mean, this one's dangerous, but I don't know how threatening they are in real life. But um, it was played primarily by one monkey. They also had uh, several uh, live monkey doubles, and then there were a few puppets. One of which was animatronic that were designed by Tom Savini. 
mm. you know, is, is one of the most famous effects uh, coordinators and designers in the industry, still is. Longtime collaborator with George Romero as well, yep. Yeah. The monkey does look great, and I guess post-production on this took significantly longer than post-production usually took for Romero because he shot more footage than he had ever shot before because he wanted to make sure that he got all of the footage that he wanted to make you know the monkey stuff look convincing and it it does it's uh, super convincing uh-huh this might be the best of the monkey monkey movies i've ever seen you know when you but i think that it rides a really fine line too there are moments when the monkey is scary and menacing but it you know seconds after it's kind of snarling then you see it again and it's it's so cute like yeah uh, even though it's bad you just kind of want to snuggle it but it's 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 adorable and and the jokes write themselves i mean it's you know it's it's the classic story of uh you know a love story between a man and his monkey and um (laughs) then you know he he starts to get a little bit too you know obsessed with his monkey so he decides that he probably better settle down with his favorite monkey handler but his monkey has other plans so yeah I'm actually impressed that it took me that long to get to the monkey jokes. <laughs> <laughs> are we going to talk about him petting the monkey? I mean, how, are we, how far are we going to go with this? <laughs> no, um, I'm really impressed with the fact that it gets off with male nudity, like right off the bat. I was like, wow, this is definitely a Romero picture, yet he's going mainstream and he doesn't even seem to know it. It, it jumps right into the action, which is perfect. Well, there's a disclaimer first that, you know, it, it basically just says, you know, there really is this place that trains these monkeys. And don't worry, this shit doesn't actually happen. <laughs> and, 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 you know, we took the greatest of care and no monkeys were harmed, which I think it's important to put out there. Yeah. You know, right. You know, one would assume, hopefully, that in a mainstream film like this, that there would be precautions taken because these are living animals. You got to be careful. So and they uh, put there's there's a disclaimer. And then there's a really cool, it's so simple, but a really cool title sequence with just like these kind of reverse negative red uh, images of the monkey's face and then the title. Super, super simple, but I just thought it was really cool. And then, yeah, yeah it, jumps, it jumps right in. The, the main character's name is Alan, played by a guy named Jason Bage, B-E-G-H-E. Mm-hmm. He's done stuff mostly television. He's still working in television. If he if if you've ever seen a show that has the word Chicago in it, he's in it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but he's this really good looking guy, super good looking, and he's an athlete. And he wakes up in bed with his beautiful girlfriend Linda. Um, and then yeah, he he tells her he's going for a run, and then he stretches naked, and that was nice. Good looking guy. It is, and I was thinking, oh my god, like George, you know, like he's just trying to like subvert. But but actually, it's kind of important. It's really important. They show this. His physique is nice. Yeah. I don't think it was a body double. He's I got a nice it. physique. He's got muscles. This guy is an athlete, and he's won. Uh, he won. He won medals in the Olympics or something, right? Something like I don't that. know. Marathons there, there's there's and pictures stuff. and trophies and. But it's his profession you know it's like his livelihood is as an athlete doing these things the first just i don't know three minutes of the movie is establishing that fact quite 
well. <laughs> cool shots of him like stretching. He's nude and he's stretching and you know doing sit-ups and things. You see his muscles and stuff. So he puts things on. He starts jogging down the street. And the score is just this sweeping, beautiful Hollywood-style orchestral score that's just setting you up for a nice drama, romance, whatever, as he's jogging down the road. I just thought that was, it it provides a great contrast to what's going to happen next. As he's jogging, suddenly he gets hit by a car. He gets hit by a truck. A truck. Something startles him. I think there's a truck there. He, He gets whacked by a truck and the score follows it. Just like it's like a almost like that feeling, but a lot well, more balletic. He gets thrown up into the air in slow motion and does like a three sixty turn in the air. Yes, it's it looks great. It looks great and it sounds great. Like I was just blown away by the score at the very beginning, and uh, and yeah, he gets hit, and then we immediately see a very very young Stanley Tucci. <laughs> <laughs> who is his doctor operating on his back. And it's just this scene of this guy laying down on the operating table and they tape up his back and it's close up and Tucci is cutting into his back and there's blood there. And, and I mean, it just, he gets all the elements that you would expect from George Merrill, like right in, right from the beginning, you know? It's there's a little quick. bit of gross, cringy factor. There's a little bit of the, what you might call exploitative nudity, but it wasn't really. And a little bit of excitement and it immediately sets up what's happened. I just, I thought that the opening, and, and it's just, it's minutes. It's, you know, three, four minutes. Um, but I just thought that it was, Really good characterization because it establishes the fact that this guy's life and personality is wrapped up in his physical body. And not to say necessarily that he's vain. I mean, he may be, but it's not so much that. But the, the things that we see of him are his amazing physique, the fact that, you know, his livelihood potentially is in his physical prowess uh there's the indication of course obviously of sexuality with him getting out of bed with this beautiful woman all of this it it seems like that is who he is his person is very much defined by his body and then three four minutes in that's entirely taken away from him Entirely. Yeah. He is uh, paralyzed from the neck down. This actor, of course, is an able-bodied person, but uh, he he plays a quadriplegic through the rest of the movie, which I was watching it thinking, what a challenge that is, you know, Mm. because in acting, so much is, you have to take it take everything into consideration your voice your your face but but much of that for most of us is also our 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 movement and and our bodies um and to have to play a character and be denied the use of your entire body except for your face that's a challenge and i think that this guy being an able-bodied person uh steps up to that challenge pretty well i mean one could also argue all he has to do is sit still but try to sit perfectly still for Whoa, i was 10 minutes i was 100 percent thinking that like what a challenge it would be to not move a muscle you know uh, uh-huh. below your neck not not a hand a finger twitch or anything like that i mean that that had to be a challenge a technical challenge for the acting you know in and of itself it's crazy but but he comes home from the hospital and, and it blows past what we later kind of figure out is quite a bit of time 
Yeah. Like he's clearly been in physical therapy. He's been in the hospital right. for a while because immediately when he comes back, we zone in on his girlfriend and his girlfriend is distracted. She's upset. She and her, his mother are there. They're talking about this party that they're throwing for his return. They're, they're preparing for it. But she is distraught. And, and as people show up to the party, uh, the doctor comes in. They're waiting for him to, to make his big arrival. The um, His name is uh, is Alan. Wiseman. Alan Wiseman and Linda. No, no, the doctor's name is John Wiseman. Yeah, um, yeah. The guy's name is Alan and his girlfriend is Linda. And you immediately know. Again, I was really... I was really impressed that uh, as soon as Stanley Tucci walks in the door, and, and Alan hasn't shown up yet, but the Dr. Wiseman has, Stanley Tucci. Oh, John, this is Dr. Fry. My name is Esther Fry. Dr. Fry is one of Alan's professors at the law school. And uh, we were just discussing... Will Alan be able to finish his studies? Physically, yes. The question is, will he want to? Oh, let's not talk about this now. This is supposed to be a celebration. <laughs> Some celebration, huh, Doc? Yeah. Charlie Cunningham. How are you? I'm Alan's... Uh, I was Alan's coach. I don't know. He walks over to Linda, and he makes some eyes at her, and he looks at her, and they have a very brief exchange. But it's extremely clear within seconds that while Alan has been in his recovery... The doctor, Wiseman, and Linda have built have had a relationship. See, and I didn't pick up on that right away. I, I, I definitely picked up on the fact that she was out. Like he she was done. And and mm. Alan Alan, you know, as soon as she greets him and she's like, Well, I should have visited more and he's like, No, it's okay. I, he bursts I mean, into tears. Just, well, you can you know? tell you can tell that he yeah. knows that she's on her way out. Yeah. But they have this kind of, you know, coming home. Well, and I guess I should say, as terrible as that sounds, this is a life-changing thing. And and this kind of yes. thing sadly happens. Um You can't judge. She comes across as a bitch and and it seems like a real bitch move to leave him in this really dark moment in his life, but it's life altering for her too. Yeah. Um, Everybody's got suffers when things like this happen. You know, I mean, you can't, you can't, I, 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 I have some sympathy for her. I have a lot of sympathy for her. Now, the way it's painted in the movie, like you said, she comes across as a bitch and the doctor who we don't actually see too much of, mm -hmm. he is confronted by Alan's friend, Jeffrey later on who we see, um, we'll talk about him in a second, but he gets confronted by him when he realizes that Linda and Dr. Wiseman have been having this relationship. He's extremely judgmental. Well, 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 I'll be damned. How do we diagnose this one, Wiseman? Clinical asshole syndrome? Clinical rat? Clinical snake in the grass syndrome? Come on, Jeffrey. And you, you clinical cunt. I feel like the movie paints the doctor, too, as a bit of an opportunistic douchebag. Oh, yeah, definitely. Again, is that fair? Who knows? We don't really have enough information to make a judgment, but... Uh, yeah, they even later in the movie paint him as being potentially careless. Um, mm -hmm. True. Again, we don't know. You know, we're not medical professionals. It, it could have been a, a very simple mistake. As it turns out, I mean, there's... I don't see any sense in not yeah, saying it fine. now. As it turns mm -hmm. out, Alan 
had a congenital uh, issue that was potentially just triggered by this accident. And mm-hmm. the initial doctor, Wiseman, just assumed that it was the spinal fracture that had caused his paralysis, which is, I think, a it's fair a pretty assumption. pretty fair assumption, right? Right, I mean, they're, right. They're but... looking at the, I mean, they're looking at the x-rays. They're seeing that there's been a sort of severing or something of his spinal cord, or something right there at his neck. He's been in this accident. If you've, if this is, If he's never been x-rayed before, you know, you're not going to know that you're not, you're just going right. to assume this accident caused it. So, uh... It, but he, fact, ends up, he ends up seeing another doctor later who mm-hmm. looks at it more closely and potentially finds this other issue. Um, but again, again, yeah, I mean, it, it, I feel like they're kind of painting these two as kind of villainous, but that's also probably so that we don't feel terrible for them when they get killed later, because they do. Well, <laughs> 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 We quickly kind of get, um, like I said, Linda's very distracted and upset at the party. She's, like, hiding some things and all that. Like you said, Alan kind of understands that it's over. I don't think he knows at this point that she's with the doctor. But um, anyway, and they keep talking about Jeffrey. I I can't remember. Linda calls uh, for Jeffrey to come, and and he says he's going to come, but he doesn't. And then we get introduced to his friend Jeffrey, who who, uh, is a researcher at a lab at the local university. He instantly sets up a whole bunch of intrigue. I mean, the minute we meet him, he's he walks into his lab. He pulls out a syringe. He fills it up with this red, sinister red-looking liquid. He injects himself with it, and then he takes out a what we learn is a frozen human brain, but it's like from a child or a baby or something. It must be because it's really small. You know, and he talks, you know, it, they use the typical stuff. Like he's when he's by himself, he either talks to himself or he talks into a tape recorder so we kind of understand what's happening. But he shaves a little bit of it off. He boils it in something. And then he injects that green looking liquid into this monkey. And so now we know Jeffrey is sort of the mad scientist of the movie. And he's Alan's friend. And he comes later to visit Alan at his home late at night after the party, uh, after everybody's left. And Alan says to Jeffrey, I know that um, Linda, I can tell she's dumping me. You know, I really like the fact of it sets up this reality of how life-changing this is for a person and the kinds of things that a sudden quadriplegic would have to go through. His mom is there, and she's there with clearly the best of intentions, but she's watching old home movies of him, and it seems to kind of bother him a little bit, you know, because obviously he's quite able-bodied in these things, and they're kind of reminiscing about when he was a kid. And his mom very quickly comes across as overbearing. And once again, I still feel sympathy for her. Absolutely. She's trying. She's trying, but it's also clear, just like families are, that they have a history, you know? And you can tell by later comments that he makes, especially in sort of the climax of the movie where he tells his mother off, and he's like, you've always been this way, you know? You've always been self-centered and overbearing and everything's about you and blah, 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 blah. So early in the movie, she's trying and you feel sympathy for her and you think he's just sort of upset, but then it becomes later very clear that there are underlying tensions already here. Uh, And then at one point, again, we're kind of jumping around, but at one point the mother like ends up like selling her house and moving in with him without even telling him 
You yeah, know? that's she, that's later, right? And without even telling him, and that's, yeah. that's a big deal. Um, but it is. and he's also the mother has also hired a personal nurse for him. Her name's Marianne. <laughs> She's uh, played by Christine Forrest, who was uh, Romero's wife at the time and appeared. Oh, in, really? Uh, I didn't realize uh-huh. that. And who appeared in several of his movies, um, I believe. And and she, unlike the mom, who you feel some sympathy for, because it seems like she really, you know, she's she's a mother. She cares. She wants to help. Marianne, the nurse, is just kind of a witch from the beginning. She's, you know what, I have to say, from the whole movie, Marianne, the nurse, I felt was the most uh, unbelievable aspect of this whole arrangement. Because she's she's a healthcare provider. Yeah, and right. she's a and, and, total douchebag, and and she's she's there. I, this she knows what the job is. She's caring for a quadriplegic. That is going to require a lot of attention, and and she just acts like she's put out the whole time. Like uh, again, yeah. like well, like the long and short of it is, like, dude, she's hired help. If she is being such a bitch to you, and you're getting in all these arguments, you could fire her and bring somebody else in. Yeah. So this whole bit where this tension that they set up between her and him, that's my only real criticism of the, of the movie is that came across as really, really false. You know? Yeah. They don't have oh, any. Oh, I agree. It's not like she's his sister or anything. Like he has some sort of like obligation to keep her around. No, he even says it later. Like, I'm paying you to help me and you're being this way. Like, we'll just fire her and get another person yeah. in. Like, it's that right. easy. That was bothersome. You know, even in 1988, there was technology of, you know, amazing technology available for people uh, who had physical disabilities, quadriplegics. You know, he's got... You know, a very sophisticated chair that he can maneuver using uh, a, a device with his mouth. And mm-hmm. there are other things that he can do. And really, this technology, I'm sure, was not available to just your average Joe. But, like, he's got a whole kind of setup in his house where his lights are automated, his curtains are automated. All he has to mm. do is, you know, say certain commands and these things happen. But nonetheless, you see that this... I, I can't imagine how devastating it would be to go in one moment from being completely able-bodied to then having to completely rely on others for just your day-to-day stuff. And just seeing him being bathed in a sling, yeah. either by Marianne or his mother, you know, at one point it's his mother and he's like, Mom, just let Marianne do this. It's humiliating. Now, should it be humiliating? No. You know, right. it's not his fault that he needs this assistance, but my goodness, put yourself in that position. You're a, a grown man that has to be naked, which is as vulnerable your as you mom. can be, yeah. in front of your mom. Yeah. And having your mom, you know, wash your body. Like, and the mom says, oh, what? Like, I've never seen you naked before. Like, I, I get it. Like, yeah, you bathed my little wiener when I was a baby, but I don't necessarily want you doing that now. right so you feel how depressed he is which culminates in a suicide attempt um he tries to kill himself and and jeffrey saves him at the last minute there's also a side story with jeffrey's like nefarious boss like demanding (sighs) results on his experience and it's all very shady and stupid and it's I say stupid, not uh, it kind is stupid, of though. whatever. I mean, it, it's like I, I feel like it's a commentary on the corruption of 
science for profit. And it is. I, I get it. It's so shoehorned in there. And this guy, Dean Burbage or whatever, he's played by Stephen Root. And, and Stephen Root, like, has been all over everything. Oh, he's yeah. got... Uh, it, it, you probably remember him most from he's the he, what Milton, right? The Red Swing Line stapler guy from Office Space. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, like the guy's got over two hundred seventy inter- IMDb credits to his name. It's like insane. He's been all over television movies. Uh, he's that guy that everybody kind of knows his face, but you know nobody probably knows his name. And and I felt like his character was really shoehorned in here, and this whole aspect of it was really shoehorned in and it it's it's a thread that just sort of gets dropped later really pretty much and and um, I, and I initially i think that there was supposed to be more to it there was an alternate ending that he was more involved in uh, but well, they ended up changing it if i'm not mistaken i feel like i read somewhere that the original cut of the movie was like four hours long right something like yeah insane like that so i'm sure there were a lot of threads that end up getting cut for time. And we've talked about this before. It's it's a trope, right? That universities are portrayed at these places where like there are these intense rivalries between professors or yeah. you know, renegade professors and the deans, you know, who are coming in and doing stuff you know, like the fly two, I think was a lot like that, right? Mm-hmm. And and this guy just comes across as this utterly sinister like dude who's just taunting Jeffrey, like your your research, like when's it gonna bear fruit and, and you know, what are you doing? And money's running out and time's running out, and then I'm gonna take over and I'm gonna do something and we never really understand what that it's gonna be but you know it's like ah. and i laugh at that because you know i used to work at a university and you know you're you're heavily associated with the university like we know that this oh, there's shit. lots of camaraderie i mean i'm sure there is there's competition to some there is extent, something but... but no it doesn't get to this degree it doesn't get this ridiculous but but he gets almost you know there's anyway, it's a plot device to right, and I I guess I I'm not really even sure. I mean, I I think that Jeffrey's motivated by wanting to um, help his friend, but I think that he's also motivated by kind of wanting to get his most promising work out of the lab, and so yes. he he takes this one monkey number six that has been responding the best to the human brain serum, and he first goes to. A woman uh, named Melanie, played by Kate McNeil, who trains capuchin monkeys to be service animals. And he says, you know, I've got this friend. He's uh, quadriplegic. Uh, He was in an accident recently. This is new for him. He's not doing well. So you train monkeys exclusively for quadriplegics? Well, there's no time for anything else. Program's gotten so popular. Well, as I I told you on the phone, I have a friend who I think would be just a terrific candidate for this sort of thing. There are a lot of candidates. That's the problem. All my monkeys are already assigned to homes. Well, how about if I were to donate a monkey? And she's like, well, uh, okay. So she does, and Jeffrey takes the monkey to Alan, and and Melanie comes along too because she's going to work with them together, you know, to get them acclimated to one another and and train, you know, for specific needs for him and in his house and and whatnot. And Alan takes to the monkey right away and asks what her name is, and Melanie's like, well, her genus name is and it ends in Ella. She's like, so I've been calling her Ella. So he names the monkey Ella, And then this, okay, so we're probably like 25 minutes in now, and 
some critics criticize the movie for being too long, particularly in the first half. I disagree because I really liked these next 20, 25 minutes where it's almost a cute little romantic comedy between uh, Alan and the monkey. It is. It's cute. It's cute. It is. And, and like, it's... the monkey is helping him, and they're sweet. Like, he likes the monkey, and the monkey likes him. And But look, it's they're... just believable enough, right? Because this guy previously was in the depths of despair and tried to kill himself. Of course he's going to latch on to this animal that, you know, is it's a female, whatever, but it's showing him affection. He's able to show it. You know, it, it does this thing where it go, climbs up on his chest and hugs him around the neck almost immediately, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's changing the batteries. And, she, and Melanie rigs up his... Um, Rigs up a whole bunch of cool stuff. And I liked this aspect of the movie, too, because how often do we get to see, um, you know, quadriplegics, people who are disabled, being shown in a realistic and respectful way in film? And I feel that this movie does it. And it's interesting. You kind of put yourself in his shoes. Like, what would this life like be like now if I was confined to a wheelchair? I couldn't wash myself. I couldn't move my arms. I couldn't move my legs. And then I had this monkey come in and help me out. And it goes through great detail, I think, in showing all the little ways that the monkey can help out. Yeah. Melanie rigs up his wheelchair to put some lights on it. And, the, and there's a battery there. And the monkey can change the battery. And she rigs up his chair to dispense sweets uh, or I think they're marshmallows for the monkey whenever the monkey does something good and so he's got this little dispenser on there and then he has this device that's very 1980s you know which is like a it's a, it's a touchtone phone but it has these cards you know they're like punch cards like old school punch cards and a slot in it and he uses a laser pointer to point around and, and point to a particular card which the monkey then knows to grab that one slide it in the slot and hit a button and then it automatically dials and he uses this laser pointer to tell the monkey to pick this up and to touch that or whatever and i thought oh my god so interesting you know the fact that the movie took the time to kind of get us into his head a little bit and bring us into his world it made the um for me anyway it made the relationship between him and his monkey much more believable much more understandable and uh, you know i just i just instantly got it because i see what this guy's got to go through and now he has a helper you know and they have a bond her abilities are a little far-fetched. I had to chuckle a little when the monkey was cleaning the house. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like wiping washing the windows. The windows. But I don't yeah. know. Maybe they do that. I don't know. I, I don't I know what that. they do. It seemed very human, right? And this it's- is supposed to be a highly intelligent, like, not not just an, I, I, again, primates are intelligent, but this yes. is supposed to be an enhanced intelligence because of what jeffrey's been doing to it yes so it doesn't have to be entirely realistic but it's cute and not only is it cute but it kind of restores some of his confidence and purpose Mm. and he decides he's going to go back to school you know to uh finish up his studies and stuff then it at some point um jeffrey comes over and he's still injecting ella and she doesn't like it, and she bites him. And then, you know, all of this is, is, is really sweet. And there's also, 
you can tell that there's something beginning between Alan Melanie. and Marianne, or Melanie, Mar- too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, not Marianne. Marianne's a nurse. Um, <laughs> it, it's very <laughs> subtle at first. Uh, it, it's not immediate, but you can see where it's going. I mean, it's a movie. You know it's going to go there anyway, right? So. Right. <laughs> then... Alan starts getting uncharacteristically agitated mm. and and he has an argument with Marianne and after the argument with Marianne Marianne's bird she has this bird that he's never liked he hasn't liked it from the beginning he says he doesn't like birds in the house he thinks they're gross she's like too bad I'm, I got a bird <laughs> yeah she doesn't care Jesus will you take it easy with that thing if you're gonna do a job do it right I'm sick and tired of your insults, young man. I don't know what's gotten into you lately. Look my butt off around here. Bullshit, this place is a pigsty. You don't change Ella's cage, you never fill her food dishes. This is our house. You have been hired to perform certain functions in it. And when you don't perform those functions, we get pissed off. And just who is this we you're talking about? Me and Ella. After their little argument, the bird comes in and lands on his face and is, like, messing around on his face. And, of course, he can't do anything. And, and Pecks at his eye. My God. Yeah. And Ella's in her cage. And so I don't think at this point that she can do anything. But she's agitated, too. And so then Alan tells Marianne when she comes in and gets the bird out, very angrily, um, he tells her to get rid of the bird or else. And then everybody goes to sleep and we see Ella get out of her cage. At this point, she can let herself out of her cage, which, again, I thought was a little silly because this is this highly intelligent monkey and it's just uh, like a one latch thing. Like She can easily just reach her arm out and pull this one latch to let herself out. Yeah. <laughs> but she, she, she kills the bird and leaves it in uh, Marianne's. Versus- bird bird yeah. slippers <laughs> and this starts a whole thing where we start seeing ella's point of view and she's getting out of the house and running around outside and alan seems to not just sense but almost be psychically experiencing it with her and at first he's just kind of confused i, I it's maybe he thinks he's dreaming or or something but what that's when the mom comes back she, uh, he thinks at first just for a visit until Marianne screams at him. I, oh, I just thought it was hilarious. I could have watched it on repeat like five times. Like, you killed my bogey! <laughs> <laughs> and he looks at her and just sneers at deserve to die he's becoming a jerk he's getting the primal rage <laughs> yeah exactly this is what we know about when monkeys and humans combine we've had <laughs> show us that this is what happens right he he's he's just becoming uh more agitated more pissed off but also it gets weird like it's weird that the movie went here I guess it, the movie's based on a novel. And so these things usually play out better in novels. I thought the movie made an odd turn here where it I thought this is going to be. And this is what I remembered about the movie from having seen it before years ago. I thought the movie was quite a standard story about sort of this super nice monkey that, you know, things kind of just get out of control with his relationship with his handler. But the movie clearly is saying there is a sort of psychic connection (laughs) between the monkey and Alan that develops. Mm -hmm. And that's, I don't know. I was a little disappointed (laughs) 
<laughs> that aspect of it, but it's a it's a movie. You go with it, right? <clears throat> I think it would have been better if it were further developed. You know, I don't know how are they going to logically explain it. You can't. Uh, yeah. They they just and I I'm not saying that I doubt that something like that is possible. That through medication or whatever that psychic connections can be established i'm not saying that i don't that i think that that's impossible it just seems kind of improbable here and it happens so quickly yeah Uh, and and it's and it's unexplained other than oh well it must be a result of the medicine i guess injecting the medicine and all that and and then it gets a little crazy later when when jeffrey realizes this and so so he kind of goes to extremes and starts kind of experimenting with the other monkeys like can i make this happen again jeffrey comes over and i like jeffrey's character too because he's also complex like you said earlier you get the sense he really cares for his friend he's not like this hey hey, hey, i'm gonna take advantage of the situation and like insert this rogue monkey in here and secretly perform these experiments like no he sought this woman out he volunteered his monkey for it. He pr- he faked its death for the dean, you know, so that right. he could get it out of his lab and in there so there would be no questions asked. But also, like you said, he's still a scientist and he wants to keep his research going. And so when he's over at Alan's place, he'll kind of sneak away and inject the monkey. And uh, Jeffrey goes over and investigates because Alan says to him, he says, I have these, I'm having these weird monkey cam premonitions you know yeah uh, these weird dreams and so jeffrey goes up to the attic he investigates he finds a broken screen and he's talking to himself he's like oh there you sneaky ella you're getting out after all alan is right but he goes downstairs and he lies to alan about it i didn't really understand that the only reason that i could imagine why he doesn't tell him the truth is because both alan and melanie were really adamant about the fact that they didn't want, like, a lab monkey that had been tested on. Yes, because he lied. Yeah, he lied. He told everybody. He told Melanie, he told Alan, he told all these people that this monkey has had nothing weird done to it. He specifically said that, so he outright lied to them about that. So, But he's not a terrible person. No, he has good intentions in terms of what he's trying to do for his friend. Does it potentially benefit him, too? Yeah, Mm -hmm. but... You know, he is trying to help out his friend. This comes to a head when Alan finds out that his ex, Linda, is sleeping with the doctor. And that's also after he and Melanie, because Alan, see, his finger moves and he sees it. So Mm. Melanie takes him to the doctor. That's when this new doctor tells him about this congenital thing. Alan gets really mad. He's like, so you're saying that Wiseman, if, if he had seen this he could have maybe prevented me being paralyzed. And the doctor's like, well, maybe, uh, I don't know. There's also potential. He's like, well, can can we fix it? And the doctor says, maybe, but spinal surgery is super, super risky. So in order to justify the risk, I would need to be able to see that you can voluntary, voluntarily move something, anything, mm. a finger, a toe, anything. And so he leaves with Melanie and she is shocked because rather than being excited and hopeful, he is just pissed like yeah super angry aggressively pissed at the doctor and when he goes home he tries to call the doctor i guess to chew his ass but the doctor is not there he's off on a trip and the nurse gives alan the number where he can be reached and it's linda's number Mm -hmm. and so alan calls linda's number the doctor picks up alan just hangs up but he's seething in anger that's when he bites his lip yeah. Yes, yes, with his big teeth. And then and the monkey climbs up on him and licks the blood off. That's Yes. That's an interesting scene, right? 
And it right, it almost seemed like he was so enraged that he didn't even notice. Mm-hmm. Like he's just kind of staring off into space. Very strange. But that night, monkey POV shot, we see the monkey go into a cabin where presumably we just see legs, but presumably it's Wiseman and Linda having sex, and then we just see flames. And in the morning, Alan's mom gets a phone call. And she's like, oh, no, how will I tell Alan? And then Alan wheels himself in, and she says, something terrible has happened. There's been, and Alan says, a fire. And so he knows. Mm-hmm. He, he, he has, Because he saw it. He saw it in his, in his mind, in his dream. So he knows what's going on. So he immediately calls Jeffrey and says, get this monkey out of here. Yeah. I don't know what's going on, but it's bad. she's bringing out something terrible in me. Bad things are happening. Get this monkey out of here. I mean, it's impressive. He picks up on it right away. He knows what's going on. And I loved this scene. He says, it's ugly. It's vicious, sinful anger. It's a sin. I'm getting a desire to sin, Jeff. And Ellen has picked up on that. And Jeffrey agrees to take her back to the lab. And as he takes her out, Alan says to him, do not bring her back. And the monkey is like screaming. It was heart-wrenching. He's dragging it out on a leash and it's trying desperately to stay. Uh, no, it, it likes again, it. You know, oh, God. Yeah, again, you feel bad for the monkey. The monkey's just doing what it... It's, it, it's supposed it's to trying, do. Yeah. yeah, it's trying to do what it thinks Alan wants it to do. It's, it's mm-hmm. serving him. Um, it doesn't know any better. And then to tear it away, I mean, it just seems really sad i don't know what what happens at this point he does he gets it back to the lab ella at this point like wants more injections yeah suddenly ella wants the injections didn't want them before so that's odd also as soon as the monkey's gone um melanie starts to comfort alan and she's like why don't you stay at my house this weekend he's like oh i don't know and she's like well i've got the whole setup in the barn because i trained the monkeys there i I think you'll be comfortable (laughs) and i i mean of course in my head i'm thinking this is what we get oh it's gonna be a sex scene isn't it and 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 in my head i was thinking well i guess she could sit on his face (laughs) (laughs) i didn't go there i don't well i mean the movie does i i i didn't immediately go there but um i didn't know she you know he all he can do is move his head so when she's like adjusting his chair he kind of nuzzles into her bosom innocently you know there's not a whole lot he can do to show affection and she kind of recoils at first but then she starts taking off her clothes and the next thing we see is is them in bed look and now again i'm no doctor i don't know how this works uh, I don't know if certain parts of the anatomy continue to function, uh, but in this case, it doesn't seem so, but there are other things people can do. <laughs> I, look, I'm do just going to, I'm just going to come right out and say, I thought this was hot and I was like, really kind of hot. I was really impressed, and, you know, I was reading in the trivia on IMDb, and apparently this is one of the very few, if not only, portrayals of a quadriplegic having sex on screen, and uh-huh. that's so nice. Like, thank you, George Romero. There's still people. <laughs> right. You know, take us into this world and help us understand how people deal with these things and force us to confront them and think about them, and my God, it doesn't seem sad at all. It's it's quite hot, you know, and she's 
she's having a good time. Supposedly, it was initially... It, it's pretty graphic anyway. It is. Supposedly, it was initially significantly more graphic and they ended up cutting it down Um, i i think that the producer wanted it even more graphic and romero didn't and and the producer ended up saying he was right (laughs) the way that it it is 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 good enough we don't need to see every it's not a porno we don't need to see everything But yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty cool. But so okay, so obviously they have this relationship now. He's feeling much better, but eventually Ella escapes um, and immediately goes back to his house where he's with his mom. Now it, it just happens to be a moment where he's trying to apologize to his mother for having been so angry and aggressive. Of course, he can't really explain to her what was going on because I don't think that she would either believe or understand it. But he's trying mm. to apologize. But as soon as Ella's near he gets immediately aggressive and angry again and recognizes he's like oh my god she's here here. yeah (laughs) call jeffrey get somewhere safe but the mother is just angry and upset and she slaps him a bunch of times it's yeah it's like but but it's not unfair he's being very mean um and and i think that his uh Acting is pretty good, except for that his primal rage manifests as Robert De Niro sometimes. <laughs> like, he turns into Robert De Niro all of a sudden with the squinty eyes and stuff. But he knows that Elle is there, and so, like, he's screaming to his mom, like, lock yourself in your room, lock yourself in your room. But instead, she takes, she draws herself a bath and is, like, crying in the bath. Um, and Ella throws the plugged-in hairdryer in the bath and, and kills yeah. her. Yeah. You know, I mean... Again, suspension of disbelief, but I get it. Okay, the monkey's trying to sort of do what he thinks, what she thinks is right, to take revenge on the people that Alan is angry at. At the same time, how does this monkey know how electricity works? (laughs) It bothered me a little bit, but yeah. uh, Anyway, I don't remember. He gets in touch with Jeffrey somehow, and Jeffrey comes over, and Jeffrey's got a couple uh, vials of whatever they use to put in poison. I don't poison, yeah. It's just a chase, yeah. It, it it becomes a chase. It's 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 very reminiscent of uh, Pet Cemetery with Gage. Um, oh yeah, you know this this little being, you know, kind of outsmarting the grown man, and it's well done. Like it, it's it's super well choreographed and staged with the monkey. It's really believable. Some of the some of the direct combat is that whole Chucky kind of like, why can't you? fight this little monkey you know like it's yeah it's it's much much smaller than you some of that seems a little far-fetched but mostly it's just about the monkey kind of getting away yeah and and getting other stuff like and eventually it does it gets the vial and uh, it injects jeffrey yeah so jeff is poisoned and he's so disoriented by the poison that he doesn't even you know Alan is begging him to call the hospital, call the police. Call. He's like, no, I'll, I, I just have to drive myself to the hospital, which obviously he can't. And so he falls over and he's dead. Somehow mm. Alan has been able to dial Melanie. He wasn't able to talk to her, but he was able to dial her. And she heard stuff going on in the background. And so she shows up and then the monkey is menacing her. Well, the monkey's smart. 
It, you know, oh, yeah. this is this is like vibes of I don't know, like misery, like wait until dark. It's like you have a person who is disabled in some way, who against all odds has to confront this devious creature and use its wits to you know overcome the physical disability it has, its inability to move, its inability to see, whatever. In his case, he's in a wheelchair that's electric, and all he can do is move his head. And this monkey can go and do whatever he wants. And this monkey's been trained and he knows the house. And so, you know, Alan is like trying to open the front door and he's calling out to his system, you know, number 10 or whatever, which opens the front door. And the monkey just cuts the power mm-hmm. and then runs over and closes the door. And he tries to, you know, make a phone call. And the monkey goes over and like bites the phone cord away. And I mean, I was really on the edge of my seat during oh, this yeah. whole sequence thinking, how in the hell? I have no idea how this guy's going to get out of this. Like, no idea. The odds are f- completely stacked against him. Right. And, well, and he he does something to Melanie, uh, or the, the monkey does, excuse me. The trips Ella her up. Does, and she trips her up. And, and she stands up and says, uh, okay, Alan, was that you or the monkey? Because Alan feels responsible for all this, and he's like, that was her, she did it. And Melanie's like, that's that's right. It's not you. You're not doing this. It's her. But then she gets knocked out. And the monkey is menacing her with that other uh, oh, syringe. God. That was creepy as f- Rubbing it on her face and near her, her eyes and stuff. and her eyes and st- Like trying to figure out how to poke her, but he's, he's on her face. And I don't know, just needles around your eye in general are yeah. scary. And, uh, and so Alan uses all of his will to move his hand and press play on this cassette player. And... and Ella likes music, you know. It's like uh, they have like a thing, yeah. Ella Fitzgerald or Billie Holiday or something, right? They've got, you know, it's kind of their thing. And he entices Ella um, to come and be affectionate with him, which again is kind of heartbreaking because oh. he has to lure her with kindness and love. And of course, we know it's deception, but she doesn't. And uh, she looks at him, and she goes up, and she starts hugging him and nuzzling him as she has before. And before, it has been so sweet, you know, that there's so little he can do, but he can nuzzle her with his face. And that's what they had done in the past. It was very sweet. This is the part that I remember just because I thought that it was, I mean, it's, it's hard to watch, but more than because it's gross or anything like that, just because it's, it's sad. Sad. And, and and again, there's only so much that he can do, but what he can do is he can chomp down on her neck and shake her like a dog shakes its prey. Yeah. And that's what he does. And, and I mean, it, it is just, I mean, the camera just, we watch this oh. happen and it is, it's, it's brutal. It's violent. It's brutal. And you see, I'm sure it's a puppet, but you see it getting flung around violently, um, and then thrown to the ground. And, uh, even the, the, the corpse of the monkey falling to the ground looks uncomfortably real. Mm. If that, if that, was a puppet Savini did an amazing job because it looked very lifelike oh. um, as it crumpled on the ground well of course the idea of it's just horrifying right I mean it's just heartbreaking yeah they had this love they had this affection it started out that way he has to use that love and affection and tap into what she still has for him and again she sort of feels like she's helping him all this time but and he takes advantage of that and 
oh, it's like an ultimate betrayal kind of thing, but, you know, it was the right thing to do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he didn't have any choice. Yeah, he didn't and, have any choice. And then, you know, that's that's kind of it. I think the next thing we see is... Uh, There's a jump scare. There's a weird thing. Oh, where, like, well, we jump to his surgery. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's very reminiscent of the last time, but uh, he, uh, the doctor slices into his back, and then the lights flicker, and then Ella pops out from inside <laughs> him. It was a good jump scare. I had forgotten it, really it and I good. didn't see it coming. It was really um, good. But then but then he, you know, wakes up and it's post surgery and he asks Melanie if it was successful and then it cuts away and we see him being wheeled to her van and when the nurse wheels him up to the van, he stands up and climbs into the van himself. Um, and they drive away into the sunset, uh, and it's a nice, happy ending. <sighs> the book yeah. didn't end as happily. I haven't read the book. I just read about this. The book doesn't end as happily. His surgery is not a success in the book. The, there was a different ending to the movie that had to do with the 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 dumb, evil scientist Burbage or whatever. Like he had been injecting all of the other monkeys with the serum and he goes to the lab only to find that the monkeys have completely overtaken the lab and are like planning a monkey uprising or something i don't know yeah. something <laughs> well but uh, I, it, and 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 romero liked it and wanted to stick with that darker ending but it tested really him. really poorly yeah. and he said to be fair the studio said we will release it with whichever ending you choose if you want to stick with your ending We'll release it with your ending. If you want to go with the happier ending, we'll do that. So, you know, that's uncommon for a studio mm. to give a director that kind of um, say. But he ultimately went with the happier ending. And, you know, subsequently, I think he said that he felt like he made the right decision. But it wasn't an easy decision to make. I think it was the right decision. Yeah. Uh, I, I liked that, you know, after what was, you know, very sad, it was, I thought that the whole ending with Ella was very sad. You kind of need a little bit of a palate cleanser. And so it worked for me. And overall, I'm so glad, you know, I'm not patting myself on the back. We've talked about doing this for a long time, but I'm glad I picked it because I really enjoyed watching it. Yeah. And I wasn't bored. I didn't think it was too long. It was a good movie. I mean, honestly, and I'm, it was a good I, Yeah, movie. and I'm happy to remind people of it or introduce people to it because if you haven't seen it or if you haven't seen it for a long time, go back. I think it stands up. It does. You know, uh, in, in 2022, I think it, it stands up pretty darn well. It doesn't feel overly dated. No. It's it's good. It's a good story, good characters, empathetic characters, surprising empathy for, for the monkey and Alan and, you know, lots of people. And just overall, it was a really enjoyable movie to watch. It accomplishes those things that Romero is quite good at, and that is, you know, tapping into deeper, you know, more emotional truisms kind of about humanity and life and politics or whatever it is, you know, that that really never go away. And so even though he's making a horror movie and, and many times it's quite exploitative or whatever, like there's an underpinning there that gets to you and it, it works. I felt like the movie was really skillful at hammering the point home and creating these characters that were believable, creating situations that were believable because they were complex. They were not black and white, with the exception of the nurse, right. the Dean Burbage. 
you know, everybody else in there had complexity and, and real motivation. You could understand why they were doing what they were doing, and you could understand why they weren't perfect. And you, I just loads of sympathy, sympathy for the monkey, sympathy for the main character. Once again, pretty rare to portray disability in a film. We don't usually go down that road and people usually just use it as a means to an end. But like this, we, 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 for a little while kind of get to empathize and experience what this guy's life might be like and what his challenges are and his emotional states. And I found that satisfying and interesting, especially, you know, like in the eighties, I just, there were a lot of little things that really tickled me about this movie, really kept me engaged, kept me on the edge of my seat and stuck with me at the end. I would totally recommend this movie to others and good movie. Thank you, Craig. Good choice. Well, you're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes you do a good thing every now and then. It's nice. Every now and then. (laughs) Check out this movie if you haven't seen it or you haven't seen it in a long time. Um, It's really good. And uh, if you enjoyed this episode, let us know. Uh, You can message us on any of the platforms. You can find us wherever you find your favorite podcast. We do have uh, a Patreon now um, where we have some extra material if that's something that you are interested in. I believe if you go to our Facebook page, you can find a link to the Patreon page. Message us. Let us know what you thought. Let us know anything that you would like to hear from us moving forward. But until next time, I'm Craig. And I'm Todd. With two guys in a chainsaw. Ah, ah, ah.